Our scripture reading this evening will be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 13. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 13 can be found on page 1211. And we will also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20, which can be found on page 221 in your Forms and Prayers book. Before reading this, I would like to remind us, especially to the younger members of our congregation, that though it may be difficult at times to, to follow theology as we, we preach it and speak about it, but what I want to do in addressing you with this is what we talk about tonight is the Holy Spirit. And this is something very important, indeed someone very important. In fact, someone who is such a close friend to us. That's who we read about this evening. He works largely behind the scenes, and that's, that's according to his very nature. God's word doesn't present him always at the front of things. In fact, the Holy Spirit fronts and puts Jesus before us. That's his goal and his desire. But what the Holy Spirit is for us is something so dear, a friend, a comforter, a companion. And so, though we, we speak in theological terms, we must, we have to define what we mean, we have to explain what the Trinity is. There's a very practical underlying truth here, and that that this Spirit dwells in you. This Holy Spirit is the Spirit that takes up residence in our very hearts and is with us in everything. That's how practical it is that we come to this Lord's Day to these truths. We will uh, read from 1 Corinthians 2. Before doing that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, it is amazing at this time to address you in prayer, even as we will be reading from the word that you bring to us, even as we read from that means by which you transform and strengthen us. We are thankful to know you, even as you are pleased to unite us to our Savior Christ, who in turn brings us to the Father. What a great truth. What a great triune truth. And we pray that as we study you and what you do and what we believe about you, we would be impressed with the deep thanksgiving and love for what you do, for the work within us, and we would be encouraged as you strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians, we'll be reading verses 6 to 13, but our focus is verses 10 through 13. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And this is our text this evening. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This ends reading from 1 Corinthians, and we turn our attention now to Lord's Day 20. A rather simple question. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that he is given also to me, so that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. People of God, do we speak enough about the Holy Spirit? Do we say enough about the Holy Spirit? Now, I would say on our own personal day-to-day basis, probably not. I can't judge the hearts of everyone here, but I know certainly I myself will frequently struggle to think of the Spirit and his presence in me. And so, yes, that is something we should work on. Certainly to be aware that we are houses of the Spirit. That's what Paul even says. You are dwelling places of the Spirit. We should meditate on that truth. But do we talk enough about the Spirit even in our confessions, even in what we say here? You see, there's a critique of Lord's Day 20 that some will come to it and say, this is all you have to say about the Holy Spirit? This really small Lord's Day that's the extent of it. Now, I have some statistics for you. For You You can tell how much time I, I spent on this. I went through the, the three forms trying to find every reference to the Holy Spirit. That sounds more impressive than what it is when you can digitally type in the Holy Spirit, and it highlights every time it's used, so don't be too impressed. But when you ask, do we as Reformed Christians, do we who, who profess our faith, and, and, and this is what we put forward formally as the church, what we believe, do we say enough about him? Well, in response, Lord's Day 20 does present to us that truth, the center truths of what we believe about the Spirit, and yet that doesn't contain all of what we believe there. The Catechism alone is, mentions the Holy Spirit over 30 times throughout the Catechism. He appears frequently there. And then if you take the Belgic, which is around 27 times, and Canons, which are around 27 times, we, what you have there is approximately, and I say approximately in case I miss some, but around 90 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in our three forms of unity. Now, why bring that up? Because the Holy Spirit is vital. The Holy Spirit is vital to us, to our faith. The Holy Spirit works within us, and we need him. And what is in this Lord's Day is a grand display of it, but it's not meant to be what is the only presentation of what we believe about the Spirit. In fact, why is that the case? It's because the Spirit is so intertwined in every doctrine and and, and in every place that we see him mentioned, and how he connects us to Christ, how he works within us, how he sanctifies us, even as he works alongside God in creation and redemption, all these things he's mentioned all the time. But what our catechism does, it does what God's word does. The Holy Spirit doesn't present himself forward as the one to to be identified with. He's the one to bring us to Christ. He's the one that points us to him. 
That's why we say it is in keeping with his work that he often operates hidden and behind the scenes in ways that you can't always see. But he works. He is there. That's how important it is. Without him, we would fail and fall. Without him, the gospel has no place in our hearts. Without him, we cannot stand. That's how important it is. And it's important to properly understand each person of the Trinity and not confuse what they do. You see, if you, if you were to say, well, the, the Father died on the cross, if you confuse his work with the Son, we would have destroyed the gospel. Why is that? Because if the Father died, well, who was the one who was punishing the Son on the cross? Who was the one pouring out wrath? Who was in the Garden of Eden who had, who had called him to a will, to follow his will? Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. If, if the Father was the one who was dying, it destroys and confuses the work of the Son. And that's true of all the others. If the, if the Spirit died on the cross, well then, who is the one uniting us to the Son? Who is working in us? Who dwells in us? Who is sanctifying us? You see, understanding the work and persons of the Trinity is very important to the gospel, and so we have to understand the Spirit as well, his work and what he does. And so, in the Catechism, we have it simply laid out, two answers. It's reflected in our points this evening. The Spirit is God, and the Spirit is in me. Those are the two points. The Spirit is God, and the Spirit is in me. It's vital, necessary for our faith that we believe the Spirit is God. He is not less than. He is not subservient in the sense that he is not fully equal, that he does not have the same attributes, that he isn't of the same grandeur or glory. That's not the case. The Spirit, just as the Son, is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He is God. Throughout church history, there have been those who have denied that. There are those who would deny that today. And what they do, there's many problems with it, but I want to illustrate it in the text that we read here from 1 Corinthians, if you would look in your Bibles, looking at verse 10 and following. If we don't proclaim that the Spirit is God, if, we, if that's not true, then what Paul says here doesn't make sense. Verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I'm going to pause there. You see what he's saying. He's saying, and he's actually saying this for our benefit, but his point is that the Spirit is God. He searches the depths of God. The Spirit comes from God. He knows God. He is part of the Trinity. He's the Spirit of God. He knows all the depths of God. And so what Paul is saying for us, if that's the Spirit who dwells in us, the, the Spirit divine who searches the depths of God, that means who is within us but God himself and the one who can reveal to us all the truths of God, all that is revealed. That's where Paul's going in this text from 1 Corinthians. You see, the intent there is to say, because the Spirit dwells within you, and the Spirit can search everything, even the depths of God, you have an assurance that what the Spirit reveals to you is true and right. 
What the Spirit does and works in you is the will of God, and he doesn't, he doesn't bring us to a false gospel. What we have isn't less than. Everything is true. What's revealed to us from the Spirit is from God himself, because it's the Spirit of God himself. That sort of should start helping us see, this is amazing, this is outstanding, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, a Christian even as the Spirit of God searches the depths of God. Now what Paul's not saying in this text is that we can know all there is to know about God, nor is it saying that the Spirit reveals to us the secret things of God. Those aren't revealed, but what this text is saying is that the Spirit brings to us the knowledge of salvation truly and fully, and has fully revealed all that God would have us know. Kelvin talks about it this way, that assurance then that we have as our witness in our hearts God himself means that these things are so sure to us that we can take them with so much assurance it's as if we can reach out and touch them. That's how much, that's how much strength we gain from knowing the Spirit of God is within us who reveals God to us. You see, all of this requires that the Spirit is God. Calvin says here from this text, it's as if he was saying, let it be enough for us to have the Spirit of God as a witness, for there is nothing in God that is too profound for him to reach. And that's the Spirit who dwells within us. We know then from this text that the doctrine of the gospel cannot be understood unless through the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And also we see that this testimony is from the Holy Spirit, and so we have an assurance that's firm and solid, as he had said. It's as if we could feel it and touch it with our hands. So I wanted to incorporate that text into this Lord's Day so that we understand how important it is that we profess the Spirit is God. We profess this in our creeds. The Athanasian Creed says, None in this Trinity is before or after, none is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. The Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. The Spirit is not a force from God. That's what some will say. Some will say the Spirit is not actually God, but it's used to describe the power of God that works. That's not true. The Spirit is a person, but it is true that the Spirit is often the one who does show the force of God. The Spirit is often the one who does bring about the power and is the one to carry out the will of God himself. And so though that's a false truth to say the Spirit isn't God or a person but a force, there is a partial, you're getting at a partial truth in the sense that the power that's being showed there often is what the Spirit does. He is often the force of God, though a person distinct from the others and yet eternal God himself. The Spirit's spoken of in personal ways. You can sin against the Spirit. That's what we see in God's Word. That requires him to be a person. You can lie to the Spirit. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts 5. Ephesians 2.18 informs us that whether Jew or Gentiles, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. There's only one way. It is through the Spirit, through Christ, to the Father. 
Ephesians 2.22 tells us that we are, as God's people, a structure connected to the cornerstone Christ, and we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see there the activity of the Spirit. Who's building the church? Well, the Spirit of God is. Who's sanctifying you? And if we receive even this word spoken right now in faith, who's the one making you receive it? Who's the one enlightening and illumining your heart and mind? It's the Spirit at work within us. This is all what the Spirit does, present and active. Only a person can do these things. Only the divine can do these things. Personal characteristics are ascribed to him. Which, by the way, the reason we're going through this all is that we would be able to defend our faith. We would be able to understand Yes, the Spirit is a person. Yes, he is divine, and this is why. These are the texts that we can turn to. The personal characteristics are ascribed to the Spirit, like intelligence. John fourteen twenty six says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's intelligence. He's going to teach Affections, Ephesians 4.30, show the affections of the Spirit. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Spirit. He's a person. He has affections. The will. He has will. Acts 16.7, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow Paul and his companions to go into a certain region. In fact, it says there that the Spirit kept them from going that region. He would not have them go in that region. He works and he's active. The Holy Spirit bears all the attributes of God. He's called God. Baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He does the works of God. He's named God. These are all the reasons we know he is truly God. This is why we confess what we do. That's the first point. He is God. The Spirit is God. Without that, we lose the faith. It's incredibly important that this is what we believe about the Spirit. But then the second point gets more personal. It gets more pastoral, that the Spirit is in me. This is where the catechism goes. We need to contemplate more on what it means that the Spirit dwells in us. In us. When you think about it, that is a pretty radical profession, isn't it? That we could say the Spirit of God, as we read, who searches the depths of God, searches you as well, dwells in you, makes his abode and his residence in your very soul, your very heart. It's amazing. God is in us. That's the beauty of 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 13. Jesus was clear to his disciples in John 14 to 15 that it was not a loss for them to see Christ ascend. We talked about that in his ascension, that he wouldn't leave them as orphans. Why was it no loss? Because though distinct persons, the Holy Spirit is called in God's word the Spirit of Christ. That's who's sent to us, the Spirit of Christ himself. We are not alone There's another element to this as well. The Spirit needed to be sent, but before Jesus could send the Spirit, he had to accomplish all of redemption. Acts 2, 32-33 says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing 
In the plan of God, Jesus needed to accomplish the will of the Father so that he could send the Spirit. And the Spirit is is to us that assurance of the first fruits of heaven itself that are sent to us upon the completion of Jesus' work of redemption. He's sent and the Spirit takes residence in us, which he couldn't do in this way until Jesus has accomplished his work. Now some of this might sound a bit sterile, a bit technical. And we miss the joy and love for the Spirit. Paul uses it in many ways when he would have us watch our behavior, watch our life, because the Spirit dwells in you. Makes it very practical when he says, would you take the member of God, would you take the member of Christ, would you take who the Spirit dwells within and unite them to a prostitute? That's how he would have us think. It would always be mindful that the Spirit of God, when we profess faith, dwells within us. Always there. Would we sin then? There's other ways of thinking about this as well. In John 14 and 15, Jesus uses as the example that the Holy Spirit is coming to us, and he uses the term paraclete. Other translations say helper, others encourager, others comforter. All of them true and right. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, our, our encourager. And we need him. He is the master workman changing us. If we were to think of a house that needed grand repairs, it was falling apart, everything was bad in it. Paint job wasn't done right, the trim's falling apart, the doors squeak, the floors creak, everything about the house is wrong, the windows are cracked... Needs, it needs to be totally rebuilt. What happens when you take a grand master carpenter and place him in such a fixer-upper? Well, he gets to work. He starts changing things. He starts ripping down the walls that need to be torn down. He starts plumbing up everything. He reinforces and changes. He transforms and he builds from the structure of the house itself, from the foundation to the framing to the finished carpentry work, To all of it, this master builder transforms the house into something that was not even worth it, to something that is now a wonderful masterpiece. That's what the Spirit does to you. He's not idle in you. He doesn't just sit there. He's working. He's active. These are the words, then, to comfort us. Because of the Spirit's presence within you, he thwarts the attempts of the devil to take you. Christians cannot be possessed. A demon could not take up residence in your heart because the Spirit of God there is there, and demons flee from him. What an important resident to have in your heart, in your soul. One of the most comforting passages in the Bible, we read Romans 8.26 and what the Spirit does. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Perfect intercessor dwells within you. 
You reach those times in your life when you say, I know I need to pray about this. And, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm pouring out my heart to God, and I'm asking and beseeching him to find this, this sin in me and help me to, ch- to change and follow the Lord, and, and you can't even phrase it. I've had that where you, you have so much on your mind in a prayer, all of a sudden God, by his grace, reveals something to you and it clicks and you see you have about ten things, five problems that you didn't even know you had that you need to be addressed and five other things that you need to ask for that the Lord would bless you and it sort of just numbs your mind and you think, I can't even bring this request to the Lord. There's too much there. The Spirit dwells within us and intercedes for us Perfectly, according to the perfect will of God, with groanings too deep for words. What a companion. When Jesus left, you would have thought the church, we had talked about this in his ascension, you would have thought the church had lost it all. And what it's kind of like is if you had a very, very close friend who was leaving, moving away, your closest companion. And you were distraught, and then this companion tells you, yes, but a friend of mine is moving to the area. Very close friend, and I I will tell him to look you up. I will tell him to come to you. And you might be thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, that's great, but I'm losing you. You're gone. Now what? But when you meet this friend, you realize, yes, your friend was right. He is everything you needed him to be. It is, it is, in that sense, not a full loss to see your friend move away who will come back because you have this other comforter, this other helper who is with you. Makes his residence in you. The comforter will never leave you. And don't downplay the extraordinary work of the Spirit in your life. Look what the Spirit did to the church. He took the entirety of the church that could fit into a scared upper room in a city, and he has conquered the world with it. That's what the Spirit of Christ does. Who do you think is responsible for the growth that you see in you? Who do you think is responsible for those thoughts that convict you of sin, that bring comfort? It's not that we're so pious, it's that the Spirit's at work. We don't believe in the extraordinary gifts that would continue today. That's what others go so far with when they talk about the Spirit, speaking in tongues, healings, prophecy. And what that does in, in only emphasizing those things as if that's truly what matters is it misses the far more fundamental, important work that the Spirit does daily in the lives of his people in transforming them in in faith and love and work. That's what the Spirit does. And yet, though I make that reference, don't downplay that the Spirit does work in you. A Christian who is immersed in God's Word, a Christian who has the Spirit in them, even your thoughts, your feelings, your senses, begins to be spiritually shaped. And in fact, it is as if God is speaking to you I say that carefully. What we don't mean is that there's continuing new revelation. But what we do mean is that the Spirit isn't quiet. And the Spirit takes up the Word and uses it in your heart. 
and uses your life and your circumstances, uses thoughts and all things else to bring you to the intended destination. Remember, he's that master carpenter. The Spirit works. We are people of the Spirit. This is how 1 Corinthians in our text had ended. Paul had said, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We are spiritual because the Spirit dwells in us, and we have the truths of God spoken to us. Now that's why we began the way we did. This is your companion, your comforter, and he dwells in you working in you and transforming you. Because he is God, the Spirit's presence within me provides me all I need. That's what we say. Because he is God, the Spirit's presence within me provides me all I need. Brothers and sisters, hold to that truth. Praise the Father as he chose his people as he enacted the plan of redemption, praise the Son as he carried it out. Praise the Spirit, who is another helper, a sanctifier, who loves us so much, he dwells with us forever. Even into eternity, the Spirit will be revealing the depths of God to us. We never lose him. What comfort and peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your spirit. We praise you for the gift. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for sending him upon your completion of your work of redemption. Holy Spirit, you who dwell within us, transform us to be more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. As it is what is pleasing to you to praise the Lord, to bring revelation of him to our hearts, we say, we we pray that we would do the Spirit's work as well and proclaim Christ to all. Transform us, dwell within us, make us more like our Lord and Savior, we pray in Jesus' name.